Colossians 3, 20 at 21. This is from the ESV as well. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Gentlemen, nice to see you again today. Uh, John just said I'm going to model how to preach on this. I don't know if it, it, no, I don't think so. It'd be a bit more like the way I cook breakfast, which is basically you just get four eggs, you throw them in a pan, you cook them and you smother them in barbecue sauce and eat them as quick as you can. Um, it's not pretty, but it, it gets the goodness to you. Okay, So that's, that's what this is going to be a little bit more like four eggs thrown in a pan rather than a uh, uh, sweetly done omelette or something. If the average primary school holds about 500 kids, can you imagine the average primary school? And we take some of the kids at risk, uh, listed by Family Community Services in New South Wales, we take some of those kids and and put them, uh, fill up a a primary school, 500. And then we'll build another primary school and uh, fill it up with 500 kids at risk, and then we'll build another one and fill it up with 500 kids at risk, and... How many primary schools can we fill up with kids at risk in New South Wales? One, two, three, four, 96. And that's kids that family community services can't get to. They don't tell you how many they do get to. They're just saying there's 96 high school, uh, primary schools full of kids that are at risk that they can't get to. What? Well, the other way I thought about it is if you line one little kid up each metre on the side of the road, how far would that stretch? 48 kilometres of kids. I think there is something wrong. Something wrong. Uh, I don't know if you saw Saturday's Sydney Morning Herald, uh, the women that we failed, uh, domestic violence. It was International Women's Day last week, I think it was. Uh, Andrew Scipioni says the New South Wales Police respond to 370 domestic violence calls every day. And the solution that someone came up with is, well, we need to put a thing about domestic violence is wrong into the school curriculum for boys aged 12. So we just tell them at school, oh, by the way, don't beat up or kill your wife, and that'll fix it, of course. That's Anyway, what am I leading to? Uh, we are people with something to say about relationships, and we live in a world where things are falling apart family-wise. The, the family, as, uh, as we know it, is under real strain. And one of the key parts of the whole family thing is the parent-child relationship. Uh, it's, uh, your parents affect you in ways uh, that you don't realise until you get older. I don't know if you guys are old enough yet to start to look like your father uh, or start to say things that your father said. You know, I used to hear myself say to my kids, shut up, sit up straight, don't talk with your, you know, with your mouth full, eat your food. And I think, where have I heard that little speech before? Oh, that was just kind of echoing in the back of my head. Uh, when it comes to the parenting thing, everyone starts with high hopes. Every young dad, young mum I talk to, you know, they're expecting a baby or whatever. They all expect they'll have wonderful relationships with their kids. Uh, every dad with a toddler is going to be wonderful. And yet you talk to men about their fathers and just scratch a little bit. And very often there's pain and it doesn't work and all sorts of things. And... Um, uh, my wider family is not exempt from that, shall we say. 
Colossians. Yesterday we looked at uh, Colossians 1, uh, 1 to 14, and I said I think in some ways the springboard verse, especially in our group that's full of people who are either um, uh, not yet in the kingdom or brand new, verses uh, chapter 1, 13 and 14, for he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That, that idea of rescue and then how do you live that out? How do you live in the kingdom of the son that he loves? And the rest of the letter is really about the implications of that. Uh, then you get, and you, finally in chapter 3, you get to the, uh, what's it called? Well, they call it the household code. You've got husbands and wives, um, parents and children, slaves and masters, and then how to relate to outsiders. And just a few thoughts about uh, parents and children. And I thought we might try and make this a bit interactive. Uh, yesterday, everyone was a bit doughy. There were plenty of teddy bear eyes staring back at me. Uh, so it'd be really good if you wanted to you know, engage just a little bit. Good on you, Carl. That's nodding. That's it. Okay, exactly. Ten commandments. You've got, you got ten commandments. Only one of them is about... Well, one of them is focused on family life. Why do you think we got the commandment that we got? So the fifth commandment is what? Anyone? You guys can do it. Come on, I know. Yes. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Okay. Uh, why that command? Why not love your children? Why not hold hands and sing Kumbaya as a family? Any thoughts about why? Because it's easy to take it for granted, you know, it's chiselled in stone, but why that? He has elsewhere said, teach the Lord to your kids, so inscribe it into your kids, engrave it into them uh, in Deuteronomy 6. Or yep, Deuteronomy 6, spot on. That's, that's the kind of make teaching them about God part of the, fa- the fabric of family life when you're walking and sitting and giving them driving lessons and all that stuff. Yep, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's. I think that's true. So, what you've got to learn in family life is respect for authority. It's, that's yeah. You're still in authority within the system, so there's consequences for disobeying authority right the way to God in models. Yep. Parents models. Yep. Now, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this. <laughs> um, you just pretty much everyone got kids. Yeah. Okay. When my kids were little, they had trouble differentiating between me and and God. And so when one of the kids was filthy with me, they didn't want to pray because it, it's kind of like, it's almost like authority figures in your life all blur together. Now, fortunately, they didn't take them too long to tell the difference, so, which is, I'm pleased. Okay. But that's, so here's, here's some thoughts on why. And it's worth, it's worth trying to understand why, why does the Lord pick that one, that one commandment? First one's this. It's a natural corrective to family life. And that is each generation naturally, I think, looks forward and looks out. So kids all, you know, as they grow up, they look forward at what they're going to do and so on. It's a reminder to actually uh, look back and honour your parents. And I think parents, in spite of 96 primary schools full of kids at risk, the vast majority of parents will naturally love and sacrifice and want to care for their children. 
It's children that need the reminder to honour your, honour your parents. Uh, second thing, the home, uh, like Bruce said, the home is the, the basis of where you actually you learn relationships and particularly you learn respect for authority and that needs to begin with our parents. And part of the whole breakdown of respect for authority, I know I sound like an old guy now, but the, the breakdown of respect for authority in our country, you see that in the weakening of parents and honour and so on. The other, the other third one is this. Uh, the, four, the fifth commandment says it's a matter of life and death. And if you don't learn from and honour your parents, and particularly what your parents should teach you about God, as per Deuteronomy 6, you won't live long in the land. And, and I don't, don't want to spoil it for you, but if you read the Old Testament, they didn't do it and they didn't live long in the land because God threw them out. Uh, what would honour for parents look like? Well, you go and look up the, the definition of honour, holding great respect, hold in high esteem, have a high regard for, esteem, respect, admire, defer to. Uh, it'll mean uh, caring for them as they get older. It, it is not the same as fulfilling their middle-class aspirations about your career, etc., which may well mean conflict as you teach and pastor young people. Uh, it doesn't say honour your parents if they deserve it. That's tricky. So you might find often there's parents who don't deserve it, we're still to honour them. Okay, Colossians 3.20, that's just background thinking about it. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Quick thing to note, wives are told to hupotasso, <coughs> submit, which, I, which is a, a, a subtle, important, subtle difference, and that is, it seems, hupotasso is a much softer word. I think it's the idea of a, a, an adult chooses to rank themselves under someone and respond in a certain way. Children are told to hupakuo, do as you're told. Children are told to obey. So the question is, when does, a, does obedience to parents ever stop? If you're from an Anglo culture, you say, of course. Uh, of course it does. Uh, if you're from an Asian culture, uh, or uh, sat down with a man who's... I think he's a Christian now and has been a Christian for about a week and from a Pakistani culture, he would say, no, it doesn't stop back home. So what do you reckon? Actually, if you, keep, if you just put, put a finger in um, Colossians 3 and turn back um, half a dozen pages to uh, Ephesians 6, where, where Paul says just a little bit more uh, about this. Have a look at Ephesians 6, wonder. One to three. And see what you think about. Is there a biblical answer on the idea of disobedience to parents ever terminate? Without being Pharisees. Yeah, um, yes. Do you mean when they're adults? Do you mean, or when the father stops doing his job? No, I mean when they're adults. When they're when adults. The father's told to bring 
apart from the training, yes, construction of the Lord, there's a time when that is no longer the same as it might be. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the logic is this. Notice he says, children, obey your parents, but it's honour your father and mother. He doesn't say children honour your father and mother. It's just honour your father and mother. There's no kind of time frame, no stage of life that's just always to happen. But as children, obey your parents. Um, I, I think it's, it's been interesting to have uh, two, cult, two cultures in our family that Kathy's brought, a whole, brought the Chinese culture and a whole different level of respect and obedience and expectations about the way you treat parents. And you can see real strengths in that. And I'm just kind of your average Aussie bogan who grew up in the bush and I bring another, if you can allow me to call what I have culture, I bring another... (laughs) Kathy would roll her eyes and shake her head. Uh, I bring another culture to it. I think the issue is, uh, as as Dan said, once you become an adult, once you're independent, in in our culture, what do you teach the young ones in your churches? I think it's about financial independence and... If you're still under your parents' roof, they rightly have expectations about the way that you'll behave and live. It's when you're independent that, uh, in terms of the roof over your head and financially, that I think obedience stops, but honour, or obedience can stop, but honour never does. Think it's possible to um, not obey your parents but still honour them? I think that can be done, but you've just got to be careful in how you've done it. Bruce? Oh, I just think, you know, just before that, Paul refers back to the two becoming one flesh. Um, and um, I can think of different couples where, mm. because of their cultural background, that Christian view of marriage where they, they, they leave and they become one flesh actually offends the family. Um, so, yeah. So uh, this, this kind of yeah, I've seen it now. What what the Bible teaches actually offends some cultures. Yes, that's good. Good point. I've kind of assumed that, but yeah, marriage certainly, biblically, you can say marriage. A, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and a new family unit starts. Yes. So that's what we, our youngest just got engaged, and uh, to a really nice young bloke. Uh, but we've said to them, "What are you going to live on financially? Because you can't live on love, and you can't live here." Okay. You can visit and eat all you want, but you're not living here. Why? Because it's not good for them. They've got to start a new family unit. And when it comes to pastoring our churches or coaching um, church planters who will, if you're feeling brave, it's exactly what Bruce said, the Bible will critique all cultures and, in, and obviously in different ways. The trouble is our own cultures, we, we're usually blind to our cultural assumptions and we just assume this is the way it's got to be. I'll read you just a sentence here. Something. Different cultures have different needs for these instructions. Some cultures need to hear the relieving word that obedience to parents isn't lifelong and that your parents need not control every part of your life. Other cultures need to hear obedience and honour depending on the stage of life. If you're talking to Asian kids, they need to learn or work out that mum and dad don't control their lives all their lives even when they're married. Um, if you're talking Anglo kids or Anglo or kids, anybody really, honour, care for parents, etc. The Pakistani man who was sitting in our lounge room the other day as we, as we read this said um, his, his parents had chosen his wife 
he was in an arranged marriage. Uh, he, the expectation was that parents would basically run their own their lives all their lives. He was quite happy about the arranged marriage. Just different cultural expectations. Next one, and I'll go a little bit quicker. Uh, Colossians three twenty one. Fathers, do not embitter your children. How did the ESV translate that? It wasn't embitter, it was... Provoke. Provoke. Okay, same meaning, uh, to make someone resentful, to make someone bitter. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Another question for you. Do you notice Paul said, children, obey your parents. He didn't just say dads, he obey mum and dad. But then he says, fathers, do not embitter your children. Why would he choose fathers for that command? rather than parents. And basically leaves mum out. Because we do as we regularly do. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's pretty right, but yeah, we do it. But also, isn't it that the father is actually primarily responsible for the upbringing of the child? Exactly right as well. Yeah. Fathers are more likely to be harsh. Uh, just, just the fact that usually dads are bigger and scarier. I remember a few times I got a whooping from dad and I... I never got a beating from my dad that I didn't deserve. But I remember, I won't give you the whole story, but I remember being pretty scared of dad, and rightly so. Dads can be physically intimidating. Uh, a dad can also have life going badly in other areas like job or whatever and take it out on the family. Uh, and you look at the domestic violence stats in New South Wales, they're just uh, uh, awful. Uh, and at the same time, dads carry that responsibility to uh, an authority in the family that mustn't be abused. Okay. You want to think, maybe talk with someone else, what are some of the ways that uh, dads might embitter uh, or provoke their children so that they might be discouraged? I've got six ways. Would you just have a talk about a couple? Not that any of us have ever done any of these, but just that other people... You know what mistakes other dads might have made. Okay, guys, I'll just hang on to some of those thoughts. I'll get them in a second. What this is about, really, is what this is about is an, is a misuse of power, and I, I think sometimes the parents don't don't see this or we can't, we're so busy kind of struggling with the moment, we don't see what's happening. There's a, sh there's a power shift in parent-child relationships, which is so obvious once you say it. When they're little, um, toddlers and so on, they have no power. You decide what they eat, what, what they wear, where they go, what they, well, more or less, what, try and make them eat and all that. But you have all the power. Uh, the power begins to shift and then by the time they're young adults, it's maybe 50-50. So we now play diaries with our kids and try and arrange when we can see each other and negotiate most things. Put another 40 years on that and by the time you're an old, old man, they've got all the power. They'll choose your nursing home and your walking frame. They'll choose how often they visit you and uh, how they treat you and it's that power shift be very careful how you use how you use the power you've got in those first few years when they don't have any. So, what are some of the ways that dads might uh, embitter their children? Any thoughts? Bad dad. Bad dad. Oh, right, I hadn't thought of that one. 
Okay, dad jokes. That's training up a new generation. How about that? They don't get it. What's funny is not the joke. It's their reaction to it. Oh, there's great. They go, oh, no. I think, oh, that's funny. Uh, yep. Discouraging words, harsh words. Uh, discouraging words, harsh words, being, being constantly critical. Yeah, I, yeah. It, you know that sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never... That's not true. Some things that people say never heal. Yep, that's one. Being absent. Sorry, mate? Being absent. Yeah, absent. Just never being around. And I... I'd love my time over again with my, my kids who are little. I was guilty of that way too often. Yep, being absent. Being there and being absent. The zone out. Like you, you come in and your mind's on something else and your kid's talking and then and you go, can you leave me alone for a bit? And you go, hang on, I'm actually not at work, but I am. Yeah. yeah I don't like that much either. Being uh, mentally and emotionally absent. Yeah. Or that the tank is so empty, you're just not there. I, yeah, that one's a bit close to the bone, actually. Uh, yeah. Any other thoughts? Teasing. Was that sorry? But teasing. Teasing him? Yeah. Once again, that's a power thing, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Okay. That's saying sorry when you're wrong. Posting without evidence. Um, no, uh, yep. Not a, not a, refusing to apologise when you're wrong. It's good to eat humble pie with your kids. You can eat a lot of it before it hurts you. Yep, done that. And what was the other one, mate? Punish. Punishing without evidence. Punishing without evidence. Yep. Going back to Bruce's one, I remember uni years ago we had uh, we got clergy kids together, and we asked them what was great about being in a clergy family and what was hard. And one of the, one of the things that kept coming up on the uh, the hard side was not being there emotionally in the in the big events of life in those teenage years, yep. not walking through with uh, their kids, their decisions and romances. And so that, that yep. I, I recall that the theme came through from the, the kids in these families. Um, what, so were really big, what were those big moments? Oh, sure. just the decisions. <laughs> and, and what, what the big moments are the big moments for your kids. Uh, yeah. The big moment for them, like I remember my son Lloyd was, you know, he's got this band together and they're doing this gig in, in Armadale. And, and uh, we're all going, and the last minute I couldn't go. And I, I may as well shot him in the head. Like, <laughs> 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 well, we used to have we used to call them serial killer events, and that is you miss this concert, and in twenty years' time they'll find that your kid has all sorts of body parts from people cut up in the freezer, and when they when they go to court and the psychiatrist does the evaluation, it's because you missed that concert. Right? So if, if you know, if you want to turn out four little Ted Bundys, just miss this concert. So, just you better check Lloyd's freezer, Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> no, I suppose you've got to put the baby side of the thing on, so it's never vicious. Yeah. It's not the ones you decide to report, it's what they decide Yeah, that's it. That's it. It'd be good to have a bit of a hint as what Well, that's what you have a wife for. Your wife is the one that tells you you better. 
All right, let me give you, I'll give you the six ways that I had that pretty much covered. One is finding fault uh, rather than praise all the time, so the kids never feel they can satisfy you. Two is being inconsistent in discipline or the boundaries you set. Kathy was always on my case about this. She says, you can't rev them up and stir them up one day for something and laugh and carry on and then crack down on them the next day for the same thing. Oh, sorry, OK. Uh, here's a big one, disciplining kids in front of others. You, you praise in public, you discipline in private. And that applies to anybody, adults as well. Uh, you, if you embarrass someone, especially one of your kids, that, that takes a very long time to heal. Um, four, not keeping your promises about things you'll do together with them. Uh, five, to never be around. Uh, every dad uh, should be made to listen, or every young dad should be made to listen to the song Cats in the Cradle at least once a week. <laughs> I, every time, I know there's only one time I've listened to it when I wasn't feeling guilty. I'd taken Gareth on a weekend away canoeing. We'd been overnight, we'd done the day's canoeing and we're coming home together, kind of drinking chocolate milk and eating pies and we're in the car and the cats in the cradle came on. I thought, ha! <laughs> yes! <laughs> once! Um, uh, anyway. Um, the other one is, uh, number six, is favouritism. To one child rather than another. You read the patriarchs and you see... and. Uh, I know some, some families close to me, shall we say, and that it's... OK. Um, it doesn't mean you treat every kid the same because they're all different, but beware of favouritism. It really builds anger into a family. Uh, read the story of Joseph and you see what happens. One, one last... Oh, yeah, I'm going to have to... Hmm? Was that sorry? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, all right, all right. Well, let's just say it'd be good that if God could work with us, not in spite of us. Do you think? Anyway. Um, the other way of saying it is look forward to 20, 22 years of pain. That's another way of looking. Uh, are there any particular ways that, and here's us coaching young dads, uh, mostly they'll be young dads, are there any particular ways that ministry dads particularly might build bitterness or resentment into kids? I've had one of my kids tell me, Dad, you've got time for everybody else but us. Yeah. Uh, or as my friend Marco Gallardo said, and your family is not an interruption to ministry. Your family is the first member of your congregation. Uh, but I, and and part, sometimes it's just a matter of... Yeah, you don't want to make an idol of your family... But at the same time, it's a deliberate choice to take pressure from out there with things you could be doing to be able to actually be a dad properly. So, and it's, it's hard. And I think the one about being emotionally... Who talked about being emotionally absent or the tank being empty? Uh, it, it's hard work. Uh, all right. Uh, I think... Bruce? What I'd just say is don't preach the gospel of grace and not be gracious to your kids. Yeah. Like that, don't let there be a contradiction between your public face and your public words to your private. Yep. The way you turn across the dinner table. Yeah. 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 Right. So I, I think one of the big things, how do you explain parenting to people? Um, first thing is I think anyone who's had kids realises you just make it up as you go. You, you, you're just doing your best. And you talk, what you're doing really is you're walking around, you're kind of scratching your bum and bumping into things. Okay? That's, that's parenting, trying to work out where to go. But the big picture is this. You tr you're trying to move from where kids have no decisions 
no authority and no consequences to where they'll be adults with full decisions but full consequences for what they do. That's one way to think about it. So how do you move them from the, the two-year-old to the 20-year-old the in age-appropriate um, decisions with age-appropriate consequences? So to say to the three-year-old, you need to learn to cross the road and, uh, oh, failed that, that's a pity. You know, that, that's, not, you don't, that's not right. But you might say to the 15-year-old, if you don't get out of bed, you'll lose your paper run. And if he doesn't, he loses the paper run. It becomes, it's kind of, and so how do you, how do you manage the consequences for, for what they're doing? Uh, I know I had one, one mum who complained that uh, uh, her son, his job was to take off his, his dirty football gear and throw it in the washing machine. But instead he used to just roll his football socks down um, and then throw them on the floor and so on. And she'd find these muddy little donuts that were the, the football socks rolled down. And then she wondered why she had to unroll them every week and he would never do it properly. Solution? Don't touch them. Next Saturday when he's looking for his football gear, oh, well, they're, they're muddy on the floor, mate. I guess you didn't put them in the washing machine. And so this is all theory. Our kids never, you know, just, very, just making it up as we go, of course. But that's, that's the big picture. Uh, you notice in Ephesians 4, Paul, uh, sorry, Ephesians 6, 4, Paul gives that one extra thing. He says just a little bit more than he does in Colossians about bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So the, the, the bring them up word... Um, Ectrefete uh, is uh, about to nourish them. And then in the training, paideia, uh, discipline, training someone, um, and then um, uh, instructions, actually, uh, Nuthesia, about to advise someone concerning the dangerous consequences of something happening or an action. So, how do you teach them? How do you warn them? How do you, etc.? Uh, like Adrian said, Deuteronomy 6 says, build. Build instruction about God into the fabric of family life. So impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Uh, build it into the routine of family life. We have family dinner once a week now. Uh, so we've got a 22-year-old, a 26-year-old and a 28-year-old sitting around uh, with various boyfriends, hangers-on, etc. But we still, they know it happens, we still open the Bible read a part of the Bible, write who wants something prayed for and pray. And why does that happen? Because it's happened for 29 years now. That's just what we do, build it into the, the routine. Um, uh, if you've got the chance to teach your kids to drive, grab it. It's 120 hours when they want to be in the car with you. So, okay. um, some of that time you'll be slapping the dashboard and screaming like an eight-year-old <laughs> girl on a water slide, but... <laughs> They'll also have the opportunities to speak to each other. <laughs> All right, one last thing. This is one last thing. As you preach and teach about parenting and um, as you're coaching people, you need to be sensitive to uh, people who have kids who aren't walking with the Lord. Uh, if all of your kids have grown and they are walking with the Lord, that's wonderful. Uh, but I know sometimes some clergy just don't get it about how much pain there is when your kids have, your growing kids have walked away from the Lord. Um, and to just be sensitive on that and aware of how hard that is uh, can, can make a lot of difference to how people 
uh, cope with it, how much they feel like they can talk about it.